electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast, a monumental May for tech. The AI trade driving massive moves in NVIDIA and semis, but the good vibes also washing over names like Tesla, Netflix, Amazon, and more. So is this rotation into tech going to continue? What happens to the other once-hot areas like energy and staples? Plus, split decision while U.S. and Chinese government officials are talking about decoupling. A host of U.S. businesses are trying to strengthen their bonds with Beijing. But will rising tensions between the two nations cause more pain than profit? And later, Carvana's back from the brink turnaround, Salesforce's big run ahead of earnings, and a bold call from Wells Fargo saying bank stocks are cheap. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. And we start off with the AI-led tech boom on Wall Street. What else? Chip stocks continuing the rip higher, with NVIDIA topping the trillion-dollar value mark for the first time intraday. Broadcom also hitting a record high during today's session. It's now up 18% in just the last three sessions. Megacap Tech also getting a boost. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and Meta have added a combined $775 billion in market cap just this month. But a rising tide hasn't lifted all boats, while the S&P Info tech sector is up over 10% in May, on pace for its fifth straight month of gain. Crude oil and energy stocks are down nearly 9%. Defensive plays like utilities and consumer staples also dropping. So what does it say that the great tech rally is coming at the expense of certain stocks? Where are we in this market, Tim? Well, we've seen it before. Uh, we've seen it during periods where we've questioned growth and we've been worried about the, the macro. And we've seen mega cap tech outperform. You could take it back to 2018. You, you know, we could take it back to 2016. I know Dan's pointed this out you know, way back when we were younger men and women here. <laughs> Um, and, and I think if you but I, I will continue to uh, emphasize what I, I, I think I've been saying on as long as queues and semis continue to go higher, the market's going to go higher. And, and that may not be healthy for you know, market breadth, but it is what it is. And so uh, and what happens is you first hit your relative outperformance to the S&P or your relative you know, resistance, which the semis went through. We talked about that last week. And then you hit all time. So semis right now, uh, if, you, if you look at the, the SMH, I think the all time high was uh, 160. So that's about 8% away. If you look at queues, we haven't hit our relative high against the S&P, which is about 3% away. I think they're going through it. And if you look at the all-time highs on the triple Qs or the NASDAQ 100, it's around 400. So uh, Microsoft was the first of the mega cap tech stocks to do it. Apple then followed. Uh, and you go down the line. Amazon is the farthest away and Google uh, a little bit better than they are. So there are places if you're following that playbook, I do think that that's what's going on. The rotation that you talked about has been extraordinary as well. Safety of staples, safety of, uh, you know, at least resilient discretionary, safety of healthcare, which makes sense in the market where you have this kind of narrowing of breadth and you're worried about the macro. Um, I think you're going to get that trade again, but I think those trades go lower. XLP, I think, has you know, another 5 to 10% lower. Listen, if you're buying this AI trade right here, right now, today, okay, you got here for the death rattle. And I'm just saying this because what sparked this rally Actually, here? One quick question. Sure. It's your show. Uh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Why am I asking the question? But, okay. but you're polite. But would, you, so. would you have said that 
two sessions ago. No, because this is a blow-off top, okay? okay. Uh, Broadcom, Avago, whatever the hell it's called, it sold off 12% from its all-time highs today. Look at that. It's an epic, epic blow-off top there. If you look at NVIDIA today, this is the third day since they guided up. This is the important part here, okay? For this quarter, right here, they guided a quarter that was consensus $7 billion in revenue. They guided to 11. So a $4 billion beat Okay, and raise, essentially, if you think about this, cause a half a trillion dollar rally in a handful of stocks that are all the only ways that you can play this. Now, there are other ways that you can play this. I think you could buy a stock like C3AI that John Fort just mentioned. That's a five billion dollar market cap company that was up 33 percent today. Okay, so there's goofy stuff going on here. If you are not paying attention and alarm bells are not going off in your kind of wrist sensors here. This is for long people. Now, I'm obviously caught a little short some of these. I'm not naked short these, okay? I buy puts. I said this on Thursday. That's good money after bad, okay? So I'm making, like, defined risk bets against a bubble, and trying to do that is a really hard way to consistently make money, but I'm trapped here a little bit, so I'm doing this. But I'm just kind of, like, trying to highlight the fact that a $4 billion raise to guidance sparked this sort of rally. It seems fairly unnatural here. So I would also say it's also not a consistent way to make money buying things like this, especially when everything else we talked about, look at what's going on in small caps, look at what's going on in energy, look what's going on in staples, look what's going on in financials. And I could keep going here, people. Yeah. I could go to resources. They are actually saying that things are slowing and the market is not reflective of what's going on in the economy here or possibly glo uh, globally. But maybe those things are not, they don't preclude. They will be, Mel. They, no, I'm just telling you, I can take it to the bank. They maybe, will all. Maybe the economy is slowing. Maybe there is a global slowing down underway, but maybe this is the area that will have this spend, Karen. Maybe this is, maybe, maybe this spend, this CapEx spend on AI, because everybody is forced to do this, will spur this next round of cap spending for the tech sector. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. Not shockingly, I don't fully agree with Dan. I think that analysis, it sounds really great that $4 billion has sparked a half a trillion dollar rally. It's not really, I don't think, the right way to look at it. It's one quarter, a $4 billion beat, on their way to, you know, as, as uh, Jensen Wang talked about, a $1 trillion infrastructure that needs to change, right, over the next, I don't know how many years. That's a very different calculus. And I think that, yeah, is there a lot of hype in a lot of the stocks? For sure. I mean, it's reminiscent of you know, a 3D printing bubble or some other bubbles. But in terms of the AI bubble, I think that it will become a bubble. I don't think it is yet. I think there's more to go. I feel like we're early-ish on. And I mean, you know, just if you look at what they announced, last, not even their earnings, their new supercomputing ability, that, that's the cloud on steroids at the beginning. And so, I, you know, could it trade down 30 or 40 points or up 30 or 40 points? Yes, it could. But I think there's a lot more runway than just what happened in the last three months unwinding. I don't believe that that's the end of the story. Here's what our friend Savita Subramanian over at Bank of America Merrill Lynch put out this morning. Here, AI spend will likely occur within a broader CapEx cycle in automation, reshoring, green, et cetera. This is a new bull case for stocks, Guy. Do you buy that thinking? <clears throat> Well, I mean, that's been the thinking and, she, you know, she's it looks like I'm not saying she's coming to consensus, but there have been a lot of people in that camp. It's it is a fascinating argument. You know, I would my what I would push back and say these stocks are being rewarded for it. But then I would answer the question you asked, Dan. I would have said that two weeks ago, 25, 30 percent ago. So that's wrong. 
In terms of just the way the stocks traded, we talk about panics to the downside all the time, and clearly that happens. But what you saw specifically in Broadcom today, I mean, that stock traded $921 effectively on the open. To Dan's earlier point, it gave back more than $100, traded five times normal volume. That's not a natural move. I mean, something weird is going on. And again, NVIDIA, we said it for a long time, it's an extraordinarily important company, but one has to ask, are they already being rewarded for all the things we're talking about? I would submit yes, but again, I would have said that $150 ago, Mel. Yeah, um, Bloomberg quoted Jensen Huang, the CEO of NVIDIA, who's giving a presentation in Taiwan and saying it's too much. I know it's too much regarding the, the you know, accretion in the market cap, Karen. At what point do you, I mean, as a value investor, it almost surprises me that you still have NVIDIA, <laughs> but at what point do you say, you know what, it is right. too much and I have to start pairing or, or you know, increase uh -huh. the, the rate at which I am pairing my position? Well, okay, is that for sure what he was referring to, the too much was related to the stock or too much now we're looking, now we're offering you this other product that's <laughs> extraordinarily expensive to use and everyone's gonna wanna use it. So, I, I, you, you know what, you're, you're probably right about that, but I just feel like I can't trade around this and I don't think it's over. So, that's, so that leaves me with holding it, knowing that it could be extremely volatile. I can't make it a giant part of my portfolio, but um, I really do think we, we are in the dawn of another era. How much of this is reflected in the dawn? I don't think we're going to look back when this is all said and done and say today, you know, June, whatever, May 31st, 2023, it was fully reflected in the stocks. I don't think that's the case. I just take a more pragmatic view on the market. Um, I, I look at semis that outperformed the S&P by 30 percent even before we knew NVIDIA you know, was going to make these types of announcements. I and mean, I'm talking about from that CPI low in October through uh, the end of really the end of March. Um, and some of that was also a function of, of what happened with SVB. We know SVB. There have been different catalysts for mega cap tech stocks along the way. Uh, and they always include a market that is concerned a little bit about growth. And, and I know we argue, we're, we, you know, we get concerned about these multiples on a Microsoft or on an Apple. But I mean, Microsoft's up, up 21% since earnings. Microsoft, obviously, on some level, started some of this, this whole hysteria around AI with their chat GPT. Uh, but I mean, you know, Apple right now is nearing an all-time high. Is this an AI trade? Uh, it's not. I mean, they may come out and say something, but but I, I, I take it just a more simplistic view that semis are always leading the market um, and semis were doing this job uh, in a significant way before we even started pricing a lot of this. In. So, so we're having a show here today. Um, it's the last day or second to last day of May of 2023. Penultimate. And so penultimate day of 2023. And we're going to have a conversation that's very reminiscent <laughs> of January, February of 2000. We're going to have a conversation. We talk about banks and some of the regionals. That's very reminiscent of, of kind of uh, March of 2008. Uh, March, April 2008, and I've just heard some things that are really reminding me of that, okay? So the last stock to tick a trillion dollars was Tesla in, in November um, of 2021. And really, we could have said a lot of the same things that we were saying about AI, about autonomous and, and all this sort of stuff then. And the stock lost 75% of its market value until January of this year, okay? So all of this stuff can happen. These, these conversations that we're having about this technology, you know, next week, Apple is having their Worldwide Developers Forum. They have been using a thing called Siri that is based on artificial intelligence and, 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 and machine learning for 10 freaking years, 
okay? So these are investments that they've been making. There's a product that a lot of people think sucks, okay? And if you're telling me that this H100 chip that Jensen Wang is telling everybody's going to need to have is going to make it finally good, well, then I'm taking the over on that because we've been using it for 10 years, and it stinks, okay? They've been buying the most advanced chips for 10 years. They've been developing the most advanced chips for years using their own R&D budgets to do that. I think Microsoft's been doing this. Google's been doing this. Amazon's been doing this. I agree. Tesla's been doing this. I think okay, so Meta, my point is, Meta's been doing it. Meta's and, been and doing fact, this. Meta is probably as better um, positioned as any of these companies, and especially when you add in their reels uh, and some of the things. Yeah. I, I, remember, I, do you I remember November of 2021 when when what's his name Zuckerberg like renamed the company the Metaverse, and this was going to be the next thing, and it almost was a trillion dollar market cap company, and then it lost 80 oh, percent of its market value. Because he so what I'm just talking about the yeah. Metaverse right and So now, all I'm so. saying is, how about it, people? Go go buy your Nvidia right here at a trillion dollar market cap, if this ends up being a one or two quarter phenomenon because every major company and every small crappy company has to do this and then they realize that they overspend and the opportunity to commercialize it is not here and then they pull back like the metaverse spending or they pull back like Web3 or they pull back like crypto, Okay, we've seen all of this in the last five years. I do, I do see a scenario in which it's different. Tell me why it's gonna, different. No, no, no. Okay. I was going to actually acknowledge that oh. there might be a scenario here where companies are going to front load some of their spend yeah. on this, and so the comps will get more difficult a year out. Yeah. But that's a year out. Sure. In the and the, so the market year. discounts I, the future. I, I, I just think okay. I, I'd like to bring it back to the market, which to me we're, we're looking at it in phases and in, and in sequence of where we thought the market was going to go in the face of. Very difficult macro, and and whether it's recession, whether it's at least the Fed's 500 basis points, maybe another 25. The market's pricing at higher rates. None of this is good for equities. Um, I, I think I just you know I'm looking at the market that I'm being given here, and it's telling me triple Qs are going higher. And if Qs are going higher, S and P's going to hit 43.50. And it's not because I think that the world's become you know a safe place. I think there's a lot of risks out there that are underappreciated. But um, I also think that you look at how short professional community is on S and P's. You have record shorts on an S and E-minis. You have uh, some concern on sentiment. You certainly have people that are more in cash, I think, in the professional community than the retail community. That, to me, is the kind of stuff that when people are expecting this headwind takes the markets higher. It's not going higher forever. I'm just saying I see the market that's in front of me, and, and I see the Qs and in, in, in yeah. semis are outperforming. And until they stop, the, the entire market gets that, taken higher. That S&P short number is a fugazi. Okay, what did we hear? We heard Tepper, we heard Druckenmiller, we heard Steve Cohen all in the last two weeks talk about they're all in on this AI trade and they're probably short up the wazoo S&P future. It could be a lot it. of things. Well, yes, of course but, you're hedging and, and, yourself. And we're seeing Yolo I'm talking about CTAs who are directional and, and they are underinvested in s and it, But it's momentum. Well, that's, so they're, they're, they're long all this crap and they're and short the momentum is to the upside when they have to buy the, back. The momentum in the S&P has not been to the upside. It's been trading in a range for seven weeks in this I'm really tight t- range I'm with a really low Listen to me. I'm telling you that the market will go higher if semis and queues go higher. I would like and to the technicals are telling me that they're going higher. Karen, I want to ask you a question. You're bullish yes. NVIDIA. You're bullish this spend cycle. And so this is making you bullish the S&P. Yes. It does. Uh, well, I, guess, I mean, just mathematically, it kind of has to, right? right. If the mm-hmm. whole tech sector trades up, then that pulls the S&P. But I do think it's at the expense of a lot of other industries. And... Um, so does that I don't know how to answer that then mathematically yes but are there other things probably things that I own that are not going to be particularly well received yes so you know a name like United Rental which I own which I think is cheap I like the story I love the team all that 
um, it's, I could see that not really trading particularly well. So I'm going to, so that, that's not a great black or white answer to your question, but I think there's sort of a gray. Technically, I, yes. I accept gray. I accept but gray. But it's not a monolith. <laughs> right. Um, Guy, would you, for the next six months, would you rather be on the momentum of the AI trade or search for value in the, in the sectors that are suffering now because of, of yeah, this? The lat- the latter, yeah. I think. So I, I okay. would, I would say the latter. Um, I and listen, Tim's been spot on with this, so I'm not going to argue with him. But, you know, I, I got to believe we're getting a little long in the tooth here. So I would search for. Listen, the things that have failed in the wake of this, healthcare has been under pressure. Obviously, energy retailers. I mean, Target, I think, traded down to a six or seven month low. Walmart hasn't traded particularly well. So I think those stocks are sort of being thrown out, and everybody's flocking into these names, which again. I understand the reasons why. If there's opportunity, money will find opportunity. My concern is there's a euphoria going around that's unsustainable, and the stocks that are being sold are ones you actually want to try to get back into. I don't think the energy trade is over. I think popular um, belief sort of belies that, if you feel what's going on in the underlying uh, commodity. But I'll say this. There is an OPEC meeting coming up, and I think they're going to turn the screws in a major way. So we'll see what happens on the back of that. Yeah, and I just want to make one, one last point. All those names, all those situations we talked about, just as they overshot to the upside, they have the tendency, they all overshot to the downside. That is the risk, is that you're buying up here and you make a really catastrophic mistake. Well, the market's next big hurdle may be the May jobs report due out on Friday. Let's bring in CNBC contributor Peter Bookvar, chief investment officer at Bleakley Financial Group. Before we get to that, Peter, I want to bring you into this conversation that we're having, very heated one on the desk. When you take a look at this market, is this trying to tell you something, this, this huge boom in AI at the expense of industrial, staples, materials, et cetera? Uh, well, two things. Uh, if you look at, okay, we, we, let's isolate the eight companies from the 492 and then throw in the 2000 and the small cap Russell. Well, those 2,500-ish companies are customers of those eight. So you can't have the eight going up like this while their customer base are experiencing their own weakness. And with respect to extrapolating the AI craze and to think that this is going to be great for the broader economy immediately, and this is the beginning of a takeoff in the stock market, well, the Apple iPhone was initiated in 2007. That wasn't the best buy signal for the broader market, and it was certainly was no tell on the broader economy. Okay. Uh, let's talk about uh, the jobs report now. What are you expecting, and is this going to give the Fed any reason to pause here? So I, the estimates right now are under 200,000, and if the case, it would be the second month in a row below 200,000. The last time we saw that pre-COVID was 2019. I thought noteworthy was in today's consumer confidence number where uh, we saw weakness in the employment figures. In fact, those expecting more jobs over the coming six months fell to the lowest level in seven years. So I do think that there's risk to the downside. But again, the Fed wants to see a weaker labor market. I think the Fed is pausing, regardless of what Friday's number is. And Friday's number is backward looking anyway. So any central banker that's going to base their decision on Friday's number is, is really bad rearview mirror type uh, analysis. Peters, Tim, so speaking of rear view, I mean, let, let's look back at the banking crisis. I was looking at your notes. I agree with you and, and you know, that we're probably the impact of, of SVB and 
the retail bank, excuse me, the, the, the regional bank run is 100 basis points. Where, where do you think the Fed um, is in terms of their ability to, to really forecast this? And I think I know the answer um, because there are many different forces that I do think uh, are negative for the economy. And I think ultimately are negative for stocks. Um, but, but right now, the Fed, if anything, has been talking rates higher. They've been talking up Fed fund futures. They've been, there's no sense, you know, we had 120 basis points of cuts before the uh, year end, if you asked us three months ago. Now you're down about 15 basis points. Um, so where, where do you think we are in the Fed's thinking? I, I think humility is very important here. Since SVB collapsed, since we've had 50 basis points of rate hikes, and based on some estimates, the credit crunch and slash contraction is the equivalent of an additional 50. So you've had essentially 100 basis points of rate hikes since SVB collapsed. Just humility should tell you that the Fed should take a pause. And I'm not saying that they stop raising interest rates. I'm not saying they need to back off from this inflation fight. But wouldn't it be prudent from a risk management standpoint to take a step back? Because to your point, Tim, we don't really know how this is going to play out over the next three to six months. And if you don't really know, why would you then go raise interest rates? Shouldn't you raise or make a policy decision like that based on more confidence than looking at, okay, what's happened in the data today, which is reflecting what's already happened in the economy? Peter, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thanks, Melissa. Peter Bookvar, Bleakley. Um, you know, Peter had a really interesting note out this morning about the other sort of side effects of this debt deal, liquidity coming out of the system, which could mean tighter conditions. Also, um, people who have student debt, which seems like almost everybody out there, will start having to yeah. pay that debt a month sooner. And J.P. Morgan's economist came out saying that that is going to reduce consumer spending because the average monthly bill is somewhere along the lines of $393 a month. I mean, that, that's sort of meaningful, Karen. I'm just wondering how you sort of put this all together here for the economy. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've already seen pressure on sort of the lower end discretionary dollars. And so you've got to think the overlap between lower end discretionary and student debt is pretty high. So I think, I think it will probably be, how can it not be exacerbated, which I think is your point. Yeah, I mean, Guy, maybe that goes to your, what, what did, did you call it? He needs a, ugly... What? I was going to ask Guy if he needed a tissue, possibly. I thought I. I know. Guy's playing with today. I actually, I actually, I actually have a tissue <laughs> oh, right here. Yeah. Okay. A single I'm tissue. Sorry. <laughs> Let's hope there's a box there, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, um, well, somewhere. <laughs> but maybe that's what that goes to your target chart, Guy. <laughs> yeah, and the, the retailers, yeah, exactly. Target is six, seven month low. I think the consumer, again, will spend money until they, the market gives them a reason not to. But you know, these things are happening very fast, and I think we're blinded by the euphoria around a very specific area. It's obviously driving the broader market up, but below the surface are things to be concerned about. And oh, by the way, you know, two's tens, that, that yield spread that went down to below 50 basis points is back up to close to 80 basis points. And again, people say it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. So the warning signs are there. Again, the market flow of funds is choosing not to acknowledge it. Coming up, streaming surge, Netflix heading up 52-week highs. Investors keep binging. Is this name the crown for your portfolio? Oh, boy. Could stranger things happen? And Carvana shares driving higher after a rough year, but is there enough gas in the tank to keep going? We'll debate that when Fast Money returns.
What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Investors binging on shares of Netflix today. The stock hitting its highest level since February 2022 after analysts at Bernstein touted the advantages of paid sharing. The streaming giant is now up 33% this year. So this gets to, I guess, you know, paying instead of giving out that password for free in your household, Tim? The, 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 the call by the street, and I think it's the right one, is that the percentage of the people that were sharing or borrowing or stealing or whatever you want to <laughs> attach to this are, are going to pay for some plan. And, and, and what that means for Netflix, this is all coming at a time when their, their competition isn't even going through anything like this. Don't have... It's easy to say this now. It wasn't at the time when we thought that Netflix was saturated and they, they were growing their subgrowth. These are catalysts to the stock. They're not things being done out of weakness. There's a lot of people using Netflix that never paid for it. Um, the competitors are, if anything now, pulling content, reeling in their budgets, figuring out how to tidy up the bottom line because the top line's not enough. So, so that's why Netflix continues to go higher. It's up 28% from early May. So again, a part of the mega cap tech complex that has its own fundamentals that, that I think makes some sense here. Yeah, it's sort of funny to think that the knock on Netflix in the early days was its content spend and overspending and levering up the balance sheet to do that, although interest rates were basically at 0% during that whole time. And here we have competitors and they realize that they too need to spend con on content, but they can't afford to do that right now. So they aren't. So there's really wounded competitors out there, Dan, in terms of the Netflix story. Yeah, I mean, listen, the street consensus for the out year for 2024, you know, has, I don't know, like 29% earnings growth. So it's trading at 27 times next year's 29 expected percent earnings growth. I mean, that's about as cheap as it gets. For Netflix, I'll just mention this, though, where the stock's trading right now, it's really right back at that level where it was trading when it broke out in 2020 during the pandemic, when it became very clear that they were going to be the earliest pandemic winner. And I think it's important to remember that they're expected to earn maybe close to $2 more this year. So that was the kind of multiple compression that we've seen. It overshot to the downside. It's going to be a continual theme here for the next few months, people. This is a stock that was down 75% after it blew out to the upside. Um, that sort of thing. So to me, I, I don't find it really compelling here unless you want to try to really drill down and, 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 and glean what this password sharing, what the ad-supported stuff, what the competitive issues mean for the stock. It's right about at the midpoint of the range over the last five years, and it trades at a reasonable multiple if you believe in that 2024 uh, you know, consensus estimate. Where are you, Karen, on Netflix? I'm, I'm with my dog. Sorry about that. Where am I? I'm long. <laughs> I, I can't argue that it's cheap. Um, but I think Tim sort of touched on it. When you look at the competitive landscape now, when you look at Netflix balance sheet, at what kind of shape it's in, 
versus who are the big competitors? Disney, they have a balance sheet problem, right? We know that. Paramount balance sheet problem, Discovery balance sheet problem. And so they're really in, you know, a pretty good position right now. So is it a little expensive? Yes, it is. But I think if you, if, I think in the, the shakeout of the streaming story isn't over yet. And I think Netflix will emerge stronger for where they are right now. So I'm hanging on to it. All right. There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Carvana on cruise control. Shares reaching their highest level in months. But can the stocks U-turn continue? Plus, Beijing business. Elon Musk, Jamie Dimon, and other CEOs landing in China. Even as tensions with the U.S. ramp up. The impact on your money ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Carvana getting a huge boost today, climbing nearly 17% for its highest close since February. The stock has nearly doubled this month and is up more than 280% from all-time lows hit in December. It's a real head-scratcher here. Karen, <laughs> are the bonds trading any better? The bonds are trading better. I think they have a bond deal that expires tonight for the closest in bonds, but if you look at some of them, like they're, they're um, I don't know, five or six years out, that's, that's trading at an 18% yield, that paper, which is telling you the bond market is pretty concerned about this as an ongoing concern. And you might think, well, okay, if the stock goes up, they can issue more shares, but the equity, the market cap is still pretty low at $2.5 It is worth noting that the short interest is absolutely enormous, and so it could, could spike for sure. But uh, and they've been trying to lever everything up that isn't nailed down. So they've been doing a good job of staying alive. And if you stay alive long enough, things could turn. But I wouldn't be a buyer. Just live to another day, right? Um, the short interest, according to FactSet, is showing up at 50, 57% of shares outstanding, Tim. Yeah, and, and it's, it's come in a lot. But if you look at where the short interest was at its peak on the 52 week, it was around 29%. Um, I'm seeing it around 24% or, yeah, you know, no, well north of 50% as a percentage of the outstanding float. Um, it's, you know, that has a lot to do with what's going on. Karen, who is our resident bond girl, by the way, because uh, she's the one that usually talks about it. So there's more than like double entendre there. Um, I, you know, you have a case of, of where I, I think you've seen a lot of great move here. But ultimately, she pointed out that the equity, um, there's a limit. But you're following the credit markets on this story, and that's been the right thing to do. Yep. Coming up, the China trade, the latest on rising tensions as top business leaders visit the country and how it's impacting your money next. Plus, Salesforce earnings on deck and option traders are betting big ahead of the report how they are playing this name when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing virtually flat as investors await the passage of a tentative debt deal. The Dow falling 50 points down for the sixth time in the last 76 sessions. The S&P up less than a tenth of a point. The Nasdaq managing to eke out a gain up three tenths of a percent. And a couple of after hours movers that were watching box jumping after beating on the top and the bottom line. HP falling after posting a beat on earnings, but revenues falling short. And HP Enterprise also lower after a revenue miss. Meantime, Elon Musk expected to make his first trip to China in three years this week. The Tesla CEO reportedly meeting with the country's foreign minister to discuss expansion plans. And he's not the only U.S. exec making the trip. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon speaking at the bank's China conference on Wednesday in Shanghai while Morgan Stanley is holding a China-focused event in Hong Kong this week. This even as calls for decoupling between the two countries grow. Our next guest says it's too early to quit on China. Let's bring in China Beige Book CEO Leland Miller. Leland, great to have you with us. Too, too early in, in what sense? Well, I think the, the too early is about uh, giving up on the Chinese recovery. You know, traders had it wrong from the beginning on this. There was a lot of excitement back when the COVID zero bandaid was pulled off in November and December. And there was this idea, oh, well, the, the economy's reopening. Yes, the economy's reopening, but it was not about to reactivate. And so December and January and February, these were months that were never going to show recovery. People were getting sick. Hundreds of millions of people are getting sick. You know, the COVID zero structures are being broken down. So the idea was always, look, Q1 is going to be rough. As we start getting to March, probably April, then we're going to start seeing the potential for a real economic recovery. I'll say that we just got our uh, May data in. Our May data are much better than anything that we had been seeing with the government's reporting for April. So we're seeing some of the uh, the green shoots of this recovery. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's something worth uh, worth watching, not yet give, giving up on. There is also the misconception that it would be the consumer driving the recovery. And China has never been a consumer-led economy. It's been a manufacturing-led economy, Leland. So I think that's part of, you know, sort of the the idea that uh, it should have been a, a faster bounce back. Um, but I do want to talk about, uh, talk about the CEOs in China and whether or not that relationship can be repaired. Is it possible to have the two capitals, you know, have tensions, but at the same time have the U.S. CEOs wanting to do business in China? Well, it's possible, and it's certainly been what we've seen in the past, but it's getting tougher and tougher. Uh, I mean, the reason that Jamie's over there, the reason that Elon's over there is that they see an opening right now during what China's announced is, you know, the year of welcoming foreign investment in China, 2023. It's supposed to be a big year for that. At the same time, China has launched its large crackdowns of foreign businesses. You know, they're regulating data flows outside the country. Uh, they are not being very hospitable to foreign investment or to foreign businesses. So there's this natural tension that as the U.S.-China relationship deteriorates, you know, what do we do? How much do we push back? You know, what signals do we send? And right now, it's a very confusing situation for CEOs. They're trying to do all they can to try to patch up the, uh, you know, the, the sinking ship. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it's tough right now. Leland, you, so you pointed out that you, in, in your note, that you think the party's crackdown on foreign firms in China is, quote unquote, risk level rising. And you, you've pointed out that you think the, the economic risks are really the opposite, or that if anything, I hear what you're saying. I agree with that. In fact, I, I think if we think about a world where China growth in the mid 5% uh, and 5.6, 5.7 is the upside uh, compared to where we were 10 years ago. We, you know, this would have been a disaster. This is actually very bullish right now. And I think that's bullish. But how about China's crackdown on their own firms? Like that. That, to me, is the biggest part of this. And I look at, uh, you know, whether it's the K-Web, I look at the FXI, which has underperformed the S&P by 72 percent in the last decade. It's China's treatment of their own companies and corporate governance and those macro risks that I think are a lot more important than the economy. 
I, I agree. These these are you know this is what people are looking at. They're looking for signals from the government. Does the government want to do business? Is the government looking for growth? Is the government looking to incentivize innovation in its economy? And you look at what's happened for years now with the big tech firms. Yeah, you know, you look across the economy and you see a lot of worrying signs that what what Xi Jinping's economy is doing is sort of battening down the hatches. Uh, maybe not for 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 kinetic conflict, but for economic conflict for sure. So, look, there's a lot of mixed signals being sent. The 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 rule the, the rule in 2023 should be we are going to see a better bounce back. It's too early right now. Q2 numbers can, can still be uh, can still beat estimates in in for the you know Q2 GDP print. But also, it is part, you know, it, it is a, you know, the longer backdrop here is a structural slowdown. So when you're investing in China right now, you have to think, do I catch the cyclical bounce back in 2023? Do I acknowledge the long-term structural slowdown that's going to be the, the norm going forward? How do I evaluate political risk? How do I evaluate this, this real geopolitical risk that's ramping up? It's a lot harder to do business in China right now than it's ever been. Wow. Leland, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Leland Miller, I'll just go straight to you since you uh, are known as the ambassador, you know, amongst fast the name they gave me. And, and family. Yeah. 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 Well, how do you how do you assess all of those things that that Leland was talking about? Geopolitical risk, the bounce back that people aren't really factoring in right now. I, I think American CEOs have been able to do business in China for a, for a long time without the environment that we have today. Um, but I think American CEOs in non-strategic sectors are, are, are going to continue to be a place that China wants those companies, because I think on some level China is more concerned about their own consumer, and, and obviously they're more concerned about social uh, control. But, but I, I think we're all acknowledging that that environment has changed. I, I still think that what they're doing to their own companies is a bigger issue. And, and I think the minute we get more all clear, like at least some of the signs we're seeing around Alibaba, let's see some of those spinoffs go okay. Um, let's see some of the listing standards not tighten, but actually loosen up a little bit. That to me is more important. But I think the, the macro and the economy in China is something that you want to invest in at this point um, relative to where it's been over the last three years, which has been a disaster. Dan? Um, yeah. I mean, like, look at the way the Shanghai Composite acts over the last few weeks. Look at the way the FXI. I mean, it, it acts like something else is going on. It feels like a gross scare. You started off the show by talking about some of those those periods we had in 15 and 16, where when China really looked like it was slowing. And, and let's not forget, 4.5% GDP in Q1, if we have fits and starts in Q2 and really never get going, um, it might not be the engine of growth that a lot of, I think, let's say, uh, markets in the West are kind of pricing right now. And I think that has kind of been built into the 2023 story, at least in the stock market here, and it doesn't seem to be materializing. Coming up, Salesforce on deck to report earnings tomorrow. Did off, do options traders have their head in the clouds on this name? We'll head to the pits for the action next. And later, financials in focus. One top analyst saying everything but the kitchen sink was priced in. We'll debate that call ahead. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Salesforce hitting a new all-time high ahead of tomorrow's afternoon earnings report. Option traders are betting the cloud giant could see a big move when the results cross. Mike Coe's got the action. Mike? Yeah, Salesforce traded more than three times the average daily options volume today. Right now, the options market implying a move of about 9%. Calls were outpacing puts in the busiest of those with the 240 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. We saw nearly 4,200 of those trading for about $3.30 a contract. Buyers of those are betting that that same implied move will be to the upside. Guy, um, what are you thinking about CRM? Um, Valuations probably cheap historically, but still trades Mm. like one turn from a market multiple. It's had an unabated run since December. 
you know, my sense is you probably, I think you take profits into this number, not add to a long position. All right. Uh, Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. For more options action, tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, why one top analyst is doing this when it comes to the banking sector. You won't believe your eyes. <laughs> the details and much more when Fast Money returns. We're following some headlines right now. So we have uh, just these headlines that Japan has issued an evacuation order for residents for what could be a ballistic missile fired by North Korea. The warning is specifically for the Okinawa region. South Korea is also warning Seoul residents to prepare for a possible evacuation. This is what we know right now. As soon as we get more on this, we will uh, continue to update you. Meantime, moving on, uh, top banking analyst Mike Mayo is out with a note saying financials are headed higher as too many rate, recession, and regulatory risks are currently priced in. His top picks, J.P. Morgan, Citi, U.S. Bancorp, Bank of America, State Street. He put on the blindfold saying that people are, you know, they don't know what they're doing. Bank investors are basically blind because they don't see that some of these banks are really pricing this in. Karen, I'll go to you, you on this. Well, ironically, I'm blind, too. I can't see you at all. Uh, but I do like Mike Mayo and I do like banks. Right. J.P. Morgan is my biggest bank position. I think, you know, the price to book, the price to earnings. He talks a lot about price to earnings under 10 times. The price to book here is well below its five year average at one point eight. Um, and so I think there is an opportunity. I've thought that for a while. The SVB fallout at the moment seems to have um, Seems to have died down, but they're really the beneficiaries of that. The deposit flee is outstanding for them, and I think they're going to also get a lot of additional business. So I like them. I'm long, staying long. Yeah, as you see there on the screen, he likes the biggest banks. So J.P. Morgan and Citi are his picks. Tim. Well, I, the, I'm long J.P. Morgan and Citi as well, and I've been long them both for a long time. And and you can pick your spots on the banks, and and you can p- pick whatever charts you want. I mean, you can look at banks year over year or J.P. Morgan. And, you know, it's, it's effectively flat to the S&P on a one year. So, it, you know, there have been periods where banks have had this extreme duress for obvious reasons. We haven't gone into a credit world. And I'll just tell you, you know, that, that's a pretty ugly place for banks. But um, I think you have an environment here where, where clearly there's, there's been trades within here. And the regional banks have clearly priced in recession, have clearly priced in the dynamics that are a, a, a credit dynamic. The problem here is, and some of the most sophisticated investors in banks, uh, and these, these guys tell me this, you cannot analyze a bank run, a bank run that can be triggered with, with you know, the world of pressing buttons and digital kind of post-market activity. So that's the problem here, because that's still hanging out. Yeah, well, as long as the Fed speak remains as hawkish as it has. We've seen the two-year come back up. And, and, you know, we heard about relief of these mark-to-market losses, these held to maturities that a lot of these uh, regional banks have. And and granted, yes, there was tremendous efforts to kind of suggest that those losses will be backstopped and that sort of thing. But the cost of further FDI and See, insurance comes at the, you know, at the at the feet of the large banks, and you know, Bank America, Citi, Wells Fargo, they don't act well. They are much further off of their recent highs than, let's say, J.P. Morgan. So, Karen's point about J.P. Morgan, everything comes up roses for J.P. Morgan. Everything else looks like it sucks for the rest of the banks out there, and and the regionals, you know, they they are like waiting for another shoe to drop, in my opinion, especially if rates go higher. Is there another shoe guy you think? Feels that way. I mean, BKX has been cut in half since January of 22. It's bounced probably 10% since the May lows, but it's not a really meaningful bounce. And the KRE at one point today was pretty significantly lower. 
bounce late in the day. You know, the banks are telling a much different story than the broader market. And I do think there's another shoot, especially with the way the bond uh, markets continue to trade. The move uh, index continues to go higher. Two's tens, as we mentioned, is widening out again. I think something else is going to happen in the banking sector relatively soon. If there's another shoe to drop, what we saw before, Karen, was we saw a flight to the biggest banks, and so they benefited as the biggest and the strongest and the beneficiary deposit flow. But is that over? So the next shoe to drop is just bad for the sector overall. Well, if there is another shoe to drop, then you're going to see the same thing. I think you're going to see a flight of more deposits to the big banks again, right? One of the things that has helped the the KRE is that some of these banks have come out and said, you know, we actually gained deposits in the last few months, and that's been good. But also one thing that the uh, KRE stocks have that the big banks don't is a bigger percentage of commercial real estate. And we have to see that clear up a little bit. That, that's sort of the, a big obstacle in the short term. You know, you look at, at some of the exposure these banks have. Karen's right to bring that up. I, I, you know, I look at J.P. Morgan on the charts and I say, you know, that's a bank that's been struggling to get through 145 for a long time. Um, I think if it gets through there, that's kind of your te- key technical place. It's been dancing around there. Um, but right now, you know, the environment we're in, we, the markets has, have had a great run. Um, and I think you're going to have to test that again. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time, Guy. Palantir might be the real winner of this AI battle, Melms. Got some chicken soup in you, Guy. I mean, geez. Uh, Karen. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Mike, blind leading the blind, I suppose, but I do like J.P. Morgan even right here. I'm a buyer. Tim Seymour. Netflix, we talked about it. I, I think the thesis is that these changes that they brought about, I think they can do out of strength, not out of weakness. Uh, where it is on the charts, 400 is a key level to get through, uh, and I think we have to watch that, but I think it gets through there. Dan. You really want to give me this much time here? It is kind of risky. Yeah. 20 seconds. What's well, interesting, Mel, that we um, I actually like the TLT here. I think that like longer-term yields can come in. I think the two-year can stay bid here, and I think that's probably the way this plays out. You're not an angry guy in real life. No. You're perfectly fine. We're Markets are emotional on people. Today. That's oh, cool. really? Yeah. Uh, thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.